Everybody ready for Thanksgiving? Good. Ready for next Sunday to be the first Sunday of Advent? Yeah, it's a little shocking, right? Ever since, uh, ever since we had kids, I sort of think that once Advent kicks in, it's like this mad sprint to Christmas. Um, might be missing a little of the point of the season. Uh, but for those who do get a little stressed out about Advent, we're going to start a series next Sunday that's going to re- walk through all of the Advent season up through Christmas Eve. We step back a little bit and look at God's big picture. Why are we so frenetic at this time of the season? The series is, What's All the Fuss About? Uh, it is really trying to look at the big picture, why we care about Christmas so much. And by big picture, I mean next week we're in Genesis. Because that's where the story of Christmas begins. But for now, we're talking a little Thanksgiving. Right, we've been talking Thanksgiving for a couple weeks. We're talking a little bit more today. Because we are people who have a lot to be thankful for. We have talked about being thankful for the presence of God in our lives. We have talked about being thankful for the people of God in our lives. And today we're going to talk about being thankful for the Word of God, the Bible, in our lives and its power. And I hope that it is not a secret to you that I love the Bible. Hopefully that is communicated. If not, obviously I need to work on some stuff. I love reading it, I love talking about it, I love teaching it, I love preaching it. And it is one of my goals here that if you are not already in that same spot where you love the Bible, one of my goals is to infect you with that particular virus, that love for God's Word. I enjoy reading it with my kids, I enjoy reading it for class, I enjoy reading it every morning in devotional time, and I particularly enjoy having to read it up close as I prepare for lessons or for sermons. I enjoy figuring out parts that used to be hard to understand, right? The Bible is something that takes some time to get used to, to understand. There are passages that it takes me many reads over many years to really get to clarity about. But when they suddenly become clear, I love that. I love it when connections get made, when I realize oh, how passages work together across the Bible. And, and the fact that it is the very Word of God becomes clearer and clearer. The more I read the Bible, the more connections I see, the more I see the incredible elegance and beauty of the writing, drawing together things from the Old Testament to the New, from the Gospels to the Prophets, the Gospels to the Epistles. As we draw the connections between these very ancient words in the very modern world in which we live today. The reality is that even though I've read it over and over again for more than 20 years now, I still find an endless supply of fresh insights and, and new truths that I have not noticed before. This incredible levels of rich detail every time I read it. This is one of the ways that the Bible constantly tells me and proves to me this is the Word of God because it is always fresh. There's always something new to be found. No mere human book could possibly be so beautifully and consistently and and deeply constructed across so many different centuries. To have such recurring themes and, and truths work themselves out over literally 2,000 years roughly of writing. No mere human book has so many prophecies foretold and fulfilled. No human book could 
so vividly and thoroughly portray the infinite love and mercy and beauty of our God and Creator. No human book could capture the incredible sacrifice and love and devotion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. More than any other factor that God has used in my life, it has been the Word that has been responsible for transforming my sick and selfish little heart and fundamentally altering how I think and how I view the world around me. This has been God's primary means of working through the Spirit. God's Word is a daily source of challenge. It is a source of encouragement. It is a source of conviction. It is a source of inspiration. At all times, I am so thankful for the age in which we live. Right? There's so much we lament about this age, but we live in an age where where previous generations of Christians would have loved to be here because we have such easy access to God's Word in so many different forms, so many different formats, so many different translations, so many different tools to help us understand it. And I am not the first person to feel this way about God's Word. I know many of you feel this same way. But today we're going to be looking at one of the Psalms, and we're going to see someone who felt deeply and passionately about God's Word. We are concluding our series of three messages that look at three of the blessings that we enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ. Blessings that we can celebrate and give thanks for regardless of our personal circumstances. This is one of the joys of being a believer in Jesus Christ. So this morning we are looking at a passage from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible by far. It is 176 verses long. In the interest of time, we are not going to look at all 176 verses. Taken as a whole, it is just this amazing ode, if you will, to the amazing uh, power and majesty and value and virtue and glory of God's Word. It is divided into 22 different sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and actually... Uh, Each section is an acrostic. Each line of it begins in the original language with that particular letter in the the Hebrew alphabet. So we are looking today at the second section, verses 9 through 16. The psalmist writes, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. As the psalmist praises the amazing qualities of God's word, three distinct themes emerge in this section. We see that regardless of our circumstances, we can give thanks to God for his word because it reveals him, guards our holiness, and gives delight. So the first of these themes is that the psalmist is quite clear that we should give thanks because God's word reveals him to us. Verse 10 reads, With my whole heart I seek you. 
let me not wander from your commandments. This writer is passionately and eagerly, you might even say desperately, seeking the Lord. And where does he turn? To the commandments, to the Scripture. As you read all of Psalm 119, you understand that the psalmist not only sought God in his word, he found him. For all of us who seek the Lord, who desperately want to see him, to know him better, we should be encouraged. God is not hiding. He is not in the shadows. He is not vague or indistinct. He has chosen to reveal himself to us through his scripture, through the Bible. Now, scripture is clear. Anybody should be able to get a general idea and understanding of God simply by looking around, looking at nature, looking at the intricacy of his work, looking at the way he has made the people who are created in his image. Right, Romans one twenty speaks to this, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Right, so there is knowledge to be gained about God for anyone through looking at nature, through science, through art, through studying people. But it is in Scripture that God is more fully revealed, right? Where we move beyond a general understanding of God to a specific understanding of God and His nature. Pastor and writer Timothy Ward writes that the Bible is the primary means by which God presents Himself to us in such a way that we can know Him and remain in a faithful relationship with Him. Those two things are are key to understanding, right? The, The world can tell us something about Him, give us knowledge about God, but it is the Word of God that lets us know Him, that teaches us how to get into faithful relationship with Him and to maintain that relationship with Him. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, God passes before Moses. And he proclaimed his name, his essential nature, the attributes that are most central to understanding who God is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is revealing God's nature, his definitive declaration, this is who I am. So as we seek God with our whole heart, if we turn into Scripture, if we read ever more deeply through the Bible, what we realize is that all throughout, it is exploring these attributes of God. This mercy, this graciousness, This patience, this love, this faithfulness, this justice, this righteousness, these are all explored in their depth and richness in God's Word. It is indeed the Word of God telling the story of God to the people of God. But in addition to revealing God's nature, Scripture teaches us what the the world can never teach us. It teaches us what we need to know in order to reach Him, in order to enter into His glorious presence and to live forever. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood... Right, there's encouragement for children's ministry. From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is, the Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells us what sin is. This is part of how it makes us wise for salvation. It helps us understand we have a problem. It lets us know what sin is because it reveals to us God's glorious and full nature. It makes it clear how we fall very far short of that glorious nature. All of Scripture works together to tell us truthfully, consistently, quite bluntly in some cases, incredibly graphically in other cases, that we cannot avoid sinning on our own strength. Right? There are some interesting right, R-rated sections in the Old Testament that largely there to help us understand you cannot help but sin if you rely on your own devices. It makes it incredibly clear we cannot escape sin on our own. We cannot fix our sin problem on our own strength or or, or on the backs of promising that we're going to do differently or threatening to ourselves in certain ways. It does not matter. We cannot resolve it. So Scripture reveals our problem. But Scripture also reveals the solution. Because Scripture reveals to us Jesus of Nazareth. It demonstrates His power and His wisdom. His claims and the miracles that prove those claims. Together they attest to the fact that He is the one and only Son of God. He is who He said He is. He lived a sin-free life and yet voluntarily chose to die on a cross to take our sin upon His shoulders. Scripture demonstrates that after His death, He rose from the grave three days later, that He had victory over sin and death and evil, the great enemies of every living being. Scripture gives us confidence that all who put their faith in Him as Lord and Savior will share in that victory over these enemies. And Scripture is clear that if you have not already made that decision, if you have not already taken that step of faith, you need to do it because the consequences last forever. It is as Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, because of that that we know if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And because these matters are so crucial to our faith, God helps us understand His Word. Right? I think we can agree that when you first start out in Bible study, it's kind of hard. Right? It is difficult. You are spanning thousands of years of culture. But He equips us as believers in Jesus Christ. In verse 12, the psalmist cries out. He prays, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Right? He's asking God Himself to teach him His Word. And God answers this prayer for every believer in Jesus Christ because He teaches us His Word. He helps us to understand it. 
Because we have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in our heart. The Spirit, one of his many responsibilities, is to teach us God's word, to help us understand it, to help us remember it, to bring it to mind when we need it. Writing about the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John says in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 27, But the anointing that you receive from him, that's the Holy Spirit, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The primary way that God speaks to us in this age, on a regular basis, is through his word. And so we need to be in his word, because that is where the Spirit meets us most often. We need to be in his word, studying it on our own. We need to be in his word, studying it in groups with other believers. And as verses are brought to our attention, as as truths pop out that we've never noticed before, that we've long since forgotten, this is God speaking to us through his word. Through his word, he reveals himself. He equips us for salvation and for evangelism. He guides us. He teaches us. He comforts us. And these are things that cannot be undone. They cannot be taken away. These are things that are true regardless of our health, our wealth, our marital status, our employment status, our freedom, our age, or the condition of our country. These are things we can be truly thankful for regardless of our situation. Now the second theme that emerges from this passage that we can be thankful for is that the Word of God guards our personal holiness. Now personal holiness can get pretty strong reactions in this day and age. right? Some will say you're being sanctimonious and self-righteous, you're a jerk, so you want to avoid it. Some will say, well that's just quaint, that's very old-fashioned, it doesn't apply in this very modern cosmopolitan era. But let me assure you, God cares deeply about your personal holiness. And he cares about mine. He cares about the degree to which each believer in Jesus Christ is being transformed step by step, day by day, into the likeness of his son Jesus. And so just as Scripture reveals all that is needed in order to receive salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. God's word is also critical for our transformation into the likeness of our Savior. The psalmist talks about two ways that God uses his word for sanctification, for this process of transforming us. The first is that the word of God guards our thoughts. Our minds are busy and and they are ever active. We cannot help but think about things if we are awake. They may not be particularly spectacular things, right? We might be thinking about football. Nothing wrong with that, right? Might be thinking about video games, but we're thinking about something if we are awake. We live in a world that is overflowing with visual temptations designed to get our minds thinking in certain directions. This is the basis of advertising. This is the basis of entertainment. We live in an incredibly visual era because it's such a strong link between what we see and what we think. 
There are target audiences for everything. They, they, they can slice us, they can dice us, they can try and control how we think. The, and the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I would suspect the psalmist is no longer a young man. And he is looking back in appreciation for what probably protected him. He says, by guarding it according to your word. See, his word is the thing that can guard our minds amongst a world that wants us to think primarily about the things of the world. That wants us to think about wealth, status, pleasure, beauty, stuff. Think about all sorts of behaviors that dishonor God or violate his plan for our lives. But God's word is the protection against that. As we absorb more and more of God's word day by day, we are instead filling our thoughts and our minds with the thoughts of God. Because the Bible is the word of God. It represents the thoughts of God. God's word is kind of like a dose of antibiotics to deal with an infection that remains in our minds and residually remains in our hearts an infection that is constantly trying to re-enter our minds and our thoughts through all the many avenues of things we experience. And because those hearts and those minds wander every single day, we need to be striving to be in God's Word every single day. It is the protection for our minds. But the purpose of this, I want to be clear, it's not just to make us good people. It's not just to teach us right from wrong. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not the purpose we're being called to here. Instead, it is to transform our minds, to develop the very mind and thinking of Jesus Christ. Read Philippians 2 for more on that. It is to think like God, to see His big picture, to understand why personal holiness does matter in an era that says it doesn't. This is why Paul exhorts his friends in Philippi, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your minds with the good things of God. And then God's word goes on, because it also guards our actions. And we should most certainly be thankful for that. The psalmist declares in verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Right? It's talking about deep study, about memorization, about knowing it so well that it is embedded in our hearts that I might not sin against you. Right? This is not only the guard for our minds, this is the guard for our actions. How does that work? We'll talk in a moment, but I want to hold up before you the example of Jesus. See, after he was baptized, he went into the desert for 40 days without eating. Talk about hangry. That would not go well in the Burdett household. (laughs) And when Jesus was at his weakest, the devil appeared to him and began throwing him simultaneously terrible doubts and amazing temptations. And how did Jesus resist this? It wasn't just by saying, I'm God, leave me alone. 
right? He is being tested in his very human essence here. And he responds by quoting scripture back at the devil. He is holding scripture in his heart. He quotes it back. Three times the devil tempts Jesus, and three times he responds with the word of God, and then the devil departs. And while the devil may not be so brazen and invisible in your life as he was for Jesus, you better believe that if you are doing good things for God, if you are growing in God's service, if you are making a difference for his kingdom, the devil is going to start offering temptation to you. He's not going to jump out of a bush in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, right? We could wish it was that because then we would laugh and send him away. Instead, he will begin offering us temptations to try and turn us away from serving God. Temptations to fall back into old patterns of sin and selfishness. To take up new patterns of self-glorification or satisfaction. And Scripture is our guard and our weapon against this adversary. Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is important to note that out of all the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it is only Scripture. There is only one weapon in the whole list, and it is the Word of God. In writing to his dear friend, Paul explains the value of Scripture, the way it works to guard our actions. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'll extend and say the principle applies to the woman of God as well. That is the power of God's Word to transform our lives, to fill our minds, to guard our thoughts, to equip us for action and then to protect us when we're doing that action. And that is something to be thankful for no matter how things are going in our lives. And the final theme that emerges out of this passage is that we can be thankful for God's Word because it gives us delight. Delight is a word we don't use enough in church. Verses 13 and 14 proclaim, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Do you delight in God's Word? Because God's word is not meant to be the vegetables we eat on the side. It's meant to be the entree, whatever your favorite entree is. It is God's desire that we delight in his word because he loves us and he wants us to delight in him. And one of the foremost ways he accomplishes that is through his word. There are 66 books in this Bible but we should also think of them as 66 different love letters from God to his people, the followers of Jesus Christ. There are 66 books that vary widely in their nature, in their style, in their genre, in when they were composed, in what they address, but they all witness to the grace and mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness of the creator of the universe who loves us. 
The message that shines through them all is the big story of God's creation. Mankind's fall into sin. Christ's redeeming work at the cross. And God's ultimate restoration and victory at the end of time. As we get to know God's word better and better, as we read it more and more, as we are transformed more and more by it, Reading God's Word is an increasing source of delight. That is the repeated message of the psalmist all throughout Psalm 119. In verse 16, he says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Over and over again, this word delight appears in Psalm 119. So if reading the Word of God is difficult and not delightful for you, I want to encourage you to stick with it. I want to encourage you to do it with others who can give you encouragement and help you through the process. Because the more you read, the easier it gets to read. And the more delight awaits you. I've said before, there are 270 chapters in the New Testament. So if you're not currently in the habit of reading the Bible every day, I want to encourage you to start today, not tomorrow. Start today. You'll have some time. You're at the early service. You can get it in before football. Right, read a chapter. Start in Matthew chapter 1. And then read a chapter a day for nine months. Now, Matthew chapter 1 starts with a genealogy. So if you're not used to reading the Bible and that looks boring, I'll give you permission this one time to skim over it and get on to the, the other stuff. There's good stuff in that genealogy, trust me, but I'll get that it's a little obscure if you're new to this habit. Read a chapter a day for nine months. I think many of us would agree good things can happen in nine months. And then if you're ready to go deeper, when you're ready to go deeper, if you're already ready to go deeper, find a good reading schedule. You can get them in print. You can find them online or get an app to help you get through the Bible in a year. If you've never done it before, do it. If you have done it before, but it's been a little while, do it again. I know several people in our church use the YouVersion app to, to walk them through uh, reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, they've been doing it for ten and a half months now, and they are delighting in God's Word. So I would challenge more of you to do the same. And so a lot of our delight in God's Word comes from, from seeing this big picture, from moving through a chapter a day or, or reading a, sitting down and reading one of the books for a couple of hours. But part of the delight comes uniquely when we concentrate on it, not just reading it at a high level, but really getting into very small, specific portions and focusing on them and getting to know them. This is one of the things I enjoy most in sermon preparation. Looking at them, rereading them, repeating them, studying them, thinking about how they apply in your life, and even, yes, memorizing them. In verse 15, the psalmist calls this meditation. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. There is a relationship between that meditation, that focus on God's word, and that focus on God's ways. Meditation has a bad reputation in some Christian circles because it has a tie to Eastern, such, the, the word has such a tie to Eastern religions and New Age and things like that. But there is a long history of Christian meditation in the church. But it is very different from that other meditation that's floating around because Eastern meditation is primarily about emptying your mind. 
Whereas Christian meditation is about filling your mind with the Word of God. The psalmist here is describing daily devotional time, which we should all be in the habit of, but but he's not just reading a quick devotional about the Word of God. He is in the Word of God. He is reading it, recognizing that for us, as temples of the Holy Spirit, we are equipped to read it, meditate on it, appreciate it, dig into the hard parts until we come to some conclusion about the purpose and point. Right? And there are hard passages that are hard to discern the meaning, but we can usually get the point. Reading and rereading and thinking about them throughout the day. This is what it is to meditate on God's word, to fix our eyes on God's ways like the psalmist. And as we meditate on it with increasing effectiveness, our delight grows. It grows ever more in God's word and it grows ever more in God himself. And this is a delight that is not grounded in ourselves. It is not grounded in how we feel that day. It's not grounded in our emotions. It is grounded in the eternal nature of God. Scripture reveals His nature to us in all its breathtaking majesty, and then it proves it over and over and over again. It reveals Christ's sacrifice for us in all of its suffering, in all of its glory, in all of its triumph. Scripture teaches us God's promises and His guarantees, His attributes and His love. It transcends our circumstances and situations, and for this, we can always be thankful for the Word of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful for your word. These words that you have breathed out, and which you have preserved carefully over the centuries. These words that reveal your very nature to us, that reveal the salvation that you have offered to us through Jesus Christ. The word that you use to transform us, this word that you have given to us as a gift for us to delight in, as a source of joy that stands above and apart from anything else going on in our lives. Help us to be people of the Word, faithfully reading and growing and loving your Word as we, re- as we grow in our love for you. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The call this morning is to delight in God through the amazing gift of His Holy Word. Even if your circumstances this Thanksgiving are less than delightful, We've been given resources for understanding and using and enjoying and meditating on God's word that our predecessors could only dream of. But you, if, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then first and foremost, I urge you to make that decision. Because all of these benefits cannot be reached until you've made that decision. To accept God's gift of grace. The gift that he holds out to each and every person through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the source of eternal delight. The source of our sin being forgiven, the source of the ability to live forever in the presence of God. So I'd urge you to accept that gift if you have not already. And if you do, to come to the front of the church in a minute as we sing. Now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but not currently a member of this church, we are delighted that you worship with us. We give thanks for you for certain. We are glad that you are part of our family. But we would love for you to make that relationship official. So once again, as we sing, I would urge you to come to the front of the church so that we can celebrate together.